very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. Today, I'm super excited to have Mr. Chuck Blakeman, a serial entrepreneur, a fellow left-hander, and uh, somebody who's proud to say that he has ADHD. Uh, Chuck, welcome. Thanks. It's so good to be with you. And I know you founded quite a few companies. The, the company, um, of course, um, that we want to talk about and focus on is Got Summit. Um, before we talk about your involvement in dentistry and everything else, just give us kind of a quick overview because, you know, we have thousands of listeners, dentists uh, from all across the world who listen to this. Absolutely. I, I want them to meet you. You bet. Um, I think that's, we always start all our meetings by being human together. And so I agree with that. I, uh, I grew up in the Midwest. I was uh, the fourth of uh, four children. I was uh, left-handed and right-brained. And I learned later in life, I was ADHD and dyslexic. And uh, as a result, I graduated at the bottom of my class in high school. They barely let me out. Uh, I, I didn't get a bachelor's degree for 19 years. Uh, but in, uh, And I went into the Army because I thought the Army were the only people that would ever uh, hire me. That's how bad it was. I thought if there were 500 jobs and there were 499 people, I'd be the last guy standing. Went into the Army, uh, kind of fell into starting my first little modest business, found out I had something to offer, and off I went. And 35 years later, I've uh, started 11 businesses or, uh, in eight industries on three continents. I've written three books, two of which are used as uh, graduate school and undergraduate degree program, uh, actual classes that are taught repetitively each year, which is kind of ironically ironic since education was a struggle for me. But uh, So uh, it took me along. I consider myself a very late bloomer. Uh, and I'm in my early 60s now, and I'm just getting started. <laughs> so um, let's jump in. Uh, I know we want to talk about, you know, your experience working with dentists. You've been doing that for since how, uh, how many years? About six years. Six years, right. And um, why did you decide to help dentists? What yeah, kind of inspired you? It's a good question. We didn't actually decide. Amar Bidi at Harvard says that 97% of all businesses leave their prime objective in order to be successful. And when I read that, I, I thought, wow, only 97%? And we're one of those. We, we were, I was out there. I, I had a friend from Ireland, my best friend in the world, lives in Belfast. And he called me one day and said, hey, you've started all these businesses. You need to help other people do that. And in 2006, I got involved in, in uh, helping other people. I'm not a career consultant. I'm a career business builder and, and founder and entrepreneur. And so I got involved in doing that and, uh, and speaking. And I ended up speaking more than 100 times a year all over the world. And, and somebody uh, got my book, my first book, Making Money is Killing Your Business, and, and uh, uh, was so engrossed in it that she not only missed her airplane, she it was an hour later she looked up and nobody was around. And so she posted this. She was in the dental world. And as a result of that, we got connected with the dental world. We got a speaking engagement with a, a large organization there. And, they, and that became a referral to others. And I found out I loved dentists. They're so passionate about what they do. They have a, a, a desire for excellence that I don't find in a lot of places. They're very different than general medicine practitioners in, in their love for their 
their business and their patience and excellence. And so we just fell in love with the whole thing. And uh, about five years ago, after a year of speaking in the dental world, we made that our focus. So we are, uh, I personally am focused on nothing but working with dentists. I still have some other clients that are sort of hanging around because when we get clients that hang around for a very long time, but my, my, uh, our, our focus and my focus in particular is nothing but dentistry. Perfect. Chuck, um, let's talk about, um, you know, how to build a team, how to, you know, I think you wrote a couple of books. So one of your books is about, you know, a self-managed, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, book? yeah th that book is Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. And uh, I, I really believe that. It's not that people are a bad idea. It's that the, uh, the concept of an employee that we got from the industrial age was broken from its very beginnings. We need stakeholders instead of employees. We need people who are 100% engaged in the business and in the practice instead of uh, people who are just phoning it in and just barely making it. So the, the, the whole thing comes from my, my study of the, part of the industrial age and what great technology, what great toys, what great lifestyle that came out of that for us, the, 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 the things we got from the industrial age continue to be uh, impactful today. But the way that it treated humanity was that it dehumanized work. It took everybody's brain away from them and it made people disengaged. Here's three startling statistics that made me want to write this book. And I watch these things every month and they haven't changed for years. Thirty, only 30 to 32% of people at work are, are, are engaged. 70% are phoning it in every day. They're just going through the motions for eight hours. 51% this month, 51% of people in America have their resumes out on the street. They're proactively looking for a job. If you got 10 or 15 people in your dental practice, half of them have their resumes out. And even worse, 86% of people in America who have a job say they have not yet found something that they really are passionate about. If someone dropped another job in their lap, they'd take it. I mean, this is, this is just, these are three of the worst, most ignored statistics in, in the world around us. We have one dentist in Idaho who, when we, when we first got him, he, he talked about stinking thinking, stinking thinking, that he just couldn't get his people engaged. And it's a pandemic issue. How do we get people to step up and, and act like they own this place and become stakeholders, not shareholders who, who have a physical ownership, but stakeholders who put a stake in the ground and say, I own this practice. So that's what this book is about. And that is, that's what this passion is about for me is to figure out how do we rehumanize the workplace, give everybody their brain back, create 100% engagement and, and get away from 30%. I mean, you tell me, if you had a machine, if you had one of the things that you work with in dentistry that was only working at 30%, would you put up with that? <laughs> no. You know, of course not. We, we, we can't just drop it. We can't just go buy another one. It's expensive. So we'd try and figure out what's wrong with the machine. We'd pull it apart. We'd put it back together. We'd oil it. We'd hug it. We'd do whatever we could to fix it. And, but if we couldn't fix it, we would not put up with 30%. So that's my call to arms for the, the dental world. We want to transform dentistry, myself and my, my partners who are both dentists. We want to transform the, the dental world and, and create 100% engagement. There's no reason why we shouldn't have a practice where everybody is 100% engaged. 
I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, this is the topic that I'm very passionate about, and I, I'm spending a lot of time working with our team of 180 people because uh, I think um, uh, my experience in life is when you commit yourself to a purpose and you are totally into it, and it's not just you but everybody, um, you become amazingly happy and successful because it's not doing it for the sake of doing it. It's something you want to do. And uh, when we are in that happy place, good ideas come, great things come, um, amazing um, impact happens, and uh, it changes people's lives. And when you are changing people's lives, and uh, you know, um, magical things happens to you too. So success is a byproduct of making a difference for others and really going after a purpose. Like you know, Steve Jobs, he wanted to make technology easy for people, and of course, he changed people's lives. Even though he was worth billions, millions of me people, you know, wept a tear when he died. Yeah, you touch them in a, in a very human way. Yeah. But Naren, that's why that's why we do what we do. <clears throat> Here's my past clients: Microsoft, Apple, Eli Lilly, Oracle, Octel, IBM, giant pharma and giant IT companies. I did that for many years and found a that, that I could make a lot of money there, and b I could make almost no difference. And when I'm working with dentists, I'm working with business owners, founders people who have sweated over these things, they can make decisions they want, they care about it, they're passionate, and we can be transformative. It's one of our core values. We say all the time, we are not educational, we are transformational. If you want interesting stuff, we're not your people. If you want your life and your business to be different when we're done, we're the, we're the guys who can work with you. So we make less money doing this, and we are much more fulfilled. We are richer as a, as a result. Right. And um, let's talk about how does a practice go from this, you know, dismal stats you described to me, right? 86% of the people are not engaged. Uh, half the people are looking for another job. 70% of the people are calling it in. How do you go from that kind of a environment? That probably is a very depressing place to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the opposite. So talk to me about, you know, like, like, you know, talk to me like you would talk to a five-year-old or a 20-year-old yeah. young, young person who doesn't know anything about business. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're working, we're on the front end of working with a, a dentist in Florida who, I mean, the guy is just despondent over his practice. It's a good practice. He's an incredible dentist, but he, he feels the weight of the world is all on his shoulders. And he's asking the same questions. How do we get out of this? I've been doing this for 20 plus years and nothing has ever changed. I can't seem to find the right people. And that right there is the key. The first thing that has to happen in, is something inside the dentist's head. One of the things we've been taught for 150 years, we came by this honestly, is that, that the more education you get, the more you are somehow a, a level above or Better, you're, you're better uh, equipped to do things than other people. And I've heard dentists say to, to their staff many times when, they, when the staff says, why should I do this? The dentist says, because I went to dental school and you didn't. And that's poisonous. And what's behind that mindset, and not every dentist has that, you know, a small percentage, but, but, but most of us have inherited this industrial age mindset that we need managers to manage people because people are not quite as motivated, not quite as smart, or not quite as knowledgeable, not quite as invested as I am. 
and they're just not going to be as committed as I am, so I have to manage them. It's an assumption we go in with. Uh, now, there was a book that was written in 1960 called The Human Side of Enterprise. What I'm proposing here is not new. This guy proposed theory X, theory Y. And theory X is the owner believes people are stupid and lazy or some version of that. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everybody there is now stupid and lazy. We built that world where we attracted those people. Theory Y, people are smart and motivated. If you believe that as, a, as an owner, as a founder, as a dentist, then you will work, you will create an organization around excellence, around the uh, highest common denominator and, and pulling people to the top and you will find people who want to play that game. You play a, uh, a, an adult's game and adults come to play. So this starts in the dentist's head. That's how you start. You have to wake yourself up. And, and I would guarantee you most, business, most dentists would say, no, no, I, I don't believe people are stupid and lazy. But then as you query them about how they manage their people instead of leading their people, you find out that the practices they're using assume that maybe not that the people are stupid and lazy, but that I'm necessary, I'm more motivated, I'm more smart, I'm more engaged. I have to be the one doing this. So we have to start there. Here's the, here's the waterfall. Beliefs determine your values. So for instance, belief, I believe people are smart and motivated. I value them very highly. Beliefs determine your values. Values determine the way you think. Your thoughts determine your actions. Your actions determine your habits. Your habits determine your character. And your character determines your destiny. You want to know why you're, you're floundering as a, as a practice? It's because you don't believe strongly enough that these people want to actually make you successful. Get on board with that and watch what happens. I write for Inc. Magazine, and I just wrote an article on this last week, uh, and the stunning results that comes from believing, first of all, that people are smart and motivated, and then finding the tools and the methodologies to make that happen. You know, let's start. I want to spend a bit more time on in those steps you talked about. Um, so you said beliefs determine your values. So take me yeah. spend like a couple of minutes on each one. Sure. So, so what you believe, we, uh, you know, you, everybody has vision and mission statements. There's a, there's a level above that that almost no practice has. When we work, when we walk in, we say, what are your values? What are your beliefs? What are your principles? They look at me like I have two heads because that's just an assumed thing. You know, they might have a vision statement, a mission statement that they're ignoring, but nobody knows what they believe. And it is fun fundamental to every every business. We believe there's, nine, there's seven drivers of business, and the number one driver is beliefs. And if you don't know what you believe, everything else is going to be in trouble from there on down if you haven't defined that. We have five beliefs in our business. We hire based on those beliefs. Those are values as well. We hire based on those beliefs and those values. And we fire based on those beliefs and values. And every decision we make, we ask ourselves, are these aligned with the five things that we really believe that we're about? that we strongly believe in the world around us. So if you believe people are smart and motivated, then you value those people very highly. If you believe them, they're stupid and lazy, then you value people very very little. So your, your values come directly from your beliefs. They're almost the same thing. But if you value people highly, then you think of them very differently than if you value them lowly. So your, your, your value of people or any other thing creates your thoughts about those people or those things. And then those thoughts, 
if you if you ingrain that over time, you just it becomes the way you uh, uh, habit that you have in your head. Now okay, let, let's just slow down for a second. So I got the I, I got the belief to the values, but I, I need some help going from the values to the thoughts. Can you give me some examples of how does that manifest? Sure. So if you, if you value people highly, then how do you think of them? You think of them as precious, as as indispensable. As I need these people. These people. Uh, these people make my practice what it is. And you can hear this from business owners across the landscape as well as dentists, the, how they talk about their people. That's the, that's the value coming out in the way they think of their, of their people. If they think of people very as low, you know, as, 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 as dispensable, I had this conversation with uh, a dentist uh, last month that he basically felt like everyone in his practice is, in, is dispensable. He can, he can change them out with anybody. That's a thought pattern that comes from his value. He values people very little because he believes that they're not all that smart and motivated anyway. So I can just go find another machine, another extension machine and plug it in. So his thought pattern is, is very uh, negative about how he views people. They are, uh, they're, they're out there to take advantage of me the, they're uh, uh, they're only using me. Uh, they're only phoning it in, and he makes that a self fulfilling prophecy. The next guy says, "I believe people are smart and motivated, and I value them very highly because of that." And so my thoughts are about people that people are going to want to be. Uh, they're going to want to participate in building a great practice. They're going to want to share in the rewards. They're going to uh, they're going to act like their owners, and I'm going to be surprised if they don't. So it's an expectation, if, if nothing else. One guy expects people in his thought patterns to not do well, and, and so he has to manage them. And the other guy expects people to do well, and he's surprised if they don't. And they have very different reactions when those two, when those two things happen. So that's how the thoughts happen. And all of this is inside our head. There's three segments to this. Those three things in our head. The next two segments are in the visible world. You get your beliefs, then your values, then your thoughts, and your thoughts then determine your actions. And that's when we enter the visible world, not the real world. The real world includes your head. The visible world has your thoughts or your, or your actions. And that's where you're acting toward people in a certain way because of the way you believe about them, you value them, or you, and you think about them. So your actions are, I'm not going to pay them well, or I'm going to pay them well. I'm not going to recognize them and, and, and care for them, or I'm going to recognize them and care for them. I'm not going to uh, try and create relationships because they're dispensable, or I'm going to build community here at work. And so you, you take an entirely different uh, set of actions based on what came out of your head. And as you do those actions over and over and over again, those become default habits. In business, we call habits processes. So let's, let's slow down for a second. So I got the first three, right? Uh, values, uh, sorry, beliefs, values, and, and, and uh, thoughts. thoughts. Now, let's give me, give me some examples of how does thoughts become action. So in a dental practice, sure. how does these negative or these wrong thoughts end up becoming wrong actions versus good thoughts become give me some contrast sure i'll give you i'll give you a couple one that's real life real life uh, with another dentist we're working with they have trouble their 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 acceptance rates for for uh, a new pa or for patient acceptance is around 30 to 35 percent uh, dental intel statistics the, these guys say that 
the average is, is well north of 70%. So you ask these guys, why is it here? This is a pattern. This is, a, this is an action that's happening in their business. It's actually a habit, but it's an action. They're, they're not doing well at converting people to accept their, their, uh, uh, their, their treatments. We had to go back into the heads of the dentists, uh, not just the, the patient coordinators, but the dentists to find out that the reason this is happening is because the dentists want to be liked. They have a belief system that says, my highest priority, my highest value is to be liked no matter what, which is, you know, you, you should want to be liked. But if it gets in the way of you actually doing what is best for your patient, that's a problem. So their value was we want to be like their thought was, if I share something with someone, if I say, hey, there's $5,000 worth of work in your mouth, and it's going to take us a, you know, a few months to clear that out. And I have to wait. And, and then I have to ask them this awful question. When would you like to get started? I have to wait for this silence, this awkward silence. And I'm afraid that they might get frustrated or mad or angry, and they might even not like me for a few minutes while I'm telling them this. And my value is so high, and my, my value being liked is so high, I'll just ignore the question. I'll just skirt around it, or I'll be real sheepish about it. I might present it, but my whole body language, my whole demeanor is, you don't really need to do anything about this. In fact, I really don't want you to because I just want you to like me. And that gets infused into the patient coordinators and into the front desk. And everybody in this whole place wanted to be liked to the point where they actually were not helping their clients and their patients. So we had to back them up and get them to change their belief system. And that changed the way they acted toward people. And they had to learn. We had to give them tools on the ground, actual questions to ask and teach them. And we, and we role played how to wait for that three second or four second pause after you ask them, uh, when can, when we, when we, you know, can you give me a date for, or can we, can I get a date set up for when you want to get started? So what's That's the example of that? What's the particular thought that leads to that? I mean, just walk me through like, what's the thought, sorry, sorry, what's the uh, belief that leads to that kind of a situation? Yeah. So we, exactly. So the belief that's in there is that, uh, that uh, my, my, uh, my, my best contribution to the world around me is as a person where there is no conflict. I believe that the world should be without any conflict at all. So we went back and we had to talk about it. And this is why we don't call ourselves coaches or consultants. We have to do both. We went back and we talked about the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And this guy was a peacekeeper. He just wanted to keep the peace. Life should be, my belief is life should be without conflict. Uh, well, the fact is that tension actually is a good thing in life, and it creates most of the good things we have. All of life lives in tension, and it creates the good that we have around us. If you want to be a peacekeeper, you will eventually end up in world war. If you want to be a peacemaker and fight the little battles as they come up, you can avoid the world wars. So, so number one, you, this person's mouth will not get better no matter what you do. If you, if you take the sheepish approach, it's just going to prolong the, the agony, and eventually they're not going to like you. And so we have to go back to that. You want to be liked in the short term, but do you want to be liked in the long term or loved in the long term? And what's your greater motivation? The second thing we had to work with them on was the, uh, the idea that 
they don't actually love their patients. We had to get them to, to come to the, to the reality and make the statement, you do not have your patient's best interests at heart. Oh, no, we do, we do. No, you don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. Here's the proof. You won't do what is in your, your patient's best interests if it is in conflict with them actually liking you. If you loved your patients and you were working in their best interest, you would present the treatment plan to them with, with a strong conviction they need to do it, and you would wait the four seconds because that is what is best for them. You're too busy figuring out what is best for you. So they finally got on board with this, and the guy said, you're right. You're right. Oh, my gosh. I've been protecting myself all these years. And I need to be, I really do want my patients best, but I haven't had their best interests at heart. How do we do that? Let's get some tools. And so we went, we, we talked about how to actually present this. This is sales. And we talked without selling. It's, it's sales by serving. And we talked about how to serve these people and give them the best information and do it with their best interests, their long-term best interests at heart. We have a, in this case, I actually gave him a definition of love. Here's business love. Business love is, you, uh, the business love always seeks the long-term best interest of the one being loved. And you had not been doing that to this point. You'd been dealing with the short-term best interest of your own lack of conflict. So that went throughout the whole practice. They got better at it and their acceptance rates went up. That's an example of your beliefs, values, and thoughts coming out in actions that then you can also see the pattern, the, the habit that came from that was we just do badly. Uh, you know, basically people will have to wait until their mouths hurt before they will accept our stuff because we're not, we're not going to be preemptive about it. Right. So talk to me about the transition from, I know you kind of touched on it, from, from actions to habits. Like give me some, like few examples. Well, that was pretty simple. Uh, if you, uh, if, you eat, if you eat breakfast one morning and then you eat breakfast the next morning, you eat breakfast the next morning, you keep doing that. That's, a, that's, a, that's an action. And any action which you repeat many, many, many times becomes a habit many times to the point where you, even, you have no idea it's even a habit anymore. And that's the way most practices are run. We, we tell, this, tell dentists this all the time. 95% of practices are running on the random hope strategy of business. And the random host strategy of business, they don't do this on the dental side. They do it on the business side. I'm going to work really hard and I hope something good happens. And so they just work and they just do stuff and they run on default habits that have come from something they did once that seemed to work. So they did it again, then they did it again, and then it just became a part of the practice to the point, you know you have these default practices, these default habits, when your staff starts having a conversation at the water cooler without you and it goes like this. Hey, let's ask the, 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 uh, the owner of the practice if we could do X. And the other person says, well, if we ask him that, he's going to say X. And then we're going to say X, and then he's going to say X, and we know exactly how this is going to go. There's no point in asking him. Let's just not bother. That is a habit, and it's a process. It's just one we didn't write down. And we got to it because the response that came from the dentist, that action that came from the dentist, every time we ask these kinds of questions or we, we present these kinds of things, we know over time it becomes very predictable how they're going to respond, and that's a default habit. We also have default habits. This was a default habit of not getting uh, people to accept their, their treatments. 
They didn't write this down. It wasn't like they had a piece of paper that said, let's make sure we don't get more than 30% acceptance rates. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to be very sheepish. And we're, you know, they didn't write that down, but it was a process. And it had come from years of action of simply doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we have to break those habits. It's very hard to do. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you believe that people are lazy and what's the other word you use? Stupid uh, and lazy. Stupid and lazy. Or do you believe like most people are, what's, what's the other one? Uh, smart and motivated. Smart and motivated. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm in the smart and motivated, uh, I'm in the smart and motivated camp. I believe most people uh, desperately want to be smart and motivated. There are a, a small minority that will want to be lazy their whole lives. You can prove this historically. In, through time immemorial, over, the, over thousands of years, uh, the data, the, the best guess people have from today is that somewhere between 80 and 90% of all free people throughout history owned their own business. That is not stupid and lazy. That is smart and motivated. There was, for throughout history, a small minority of people, 10 to 15%, that never wanted to be a shoemaker. They just wanted to cut the leather. They never wanted, they, there was always a small minority that was, that was lazy. And I would say that in today's world, there is still a small minority that will not accept being an adult at work, being smart and motivated, and not having to be supervised. But the overwhelming majority, and we can prove this statistically, my best guess right now is around 81% of the work, uh, of the people out there in the workplace are, are smart and motivated and will work that way if we require it. That's the difference. Or not just required, but expected, anticipated, believe in them, encourage that. We believe in and encourage the opposite. And so we got 30% instead of 81%. Right. So you're saying it's the leadership's fault for not believing that they're smart and motivated and it's not knowing how to get them to uh, become more smart and motivated as opposed to... You, know, you got it. Yeah, we started this conversation about my dentist in Florida says, I, I just can't seem to find the right people. And right. the problem with that is it's not about the right people, Guy. It's about the right belief system. And I use this particular uh, uh, example uh, all the time because dentists get this one for whatever reason. There's a, uh, a submarine in the, or, or a submarine captain in the Navy about 10 years ago. He took over the worst rated submarine in the entire U.S. Navy. And in one year, he turned it into the best sub, uh, rated submarine in the entire U.S. Navy. And here's the kicker. He did it with the same 134 people that had made it the worst. That doesn't make sense. These people had made it the worst. And now the same people are making it the best. Guess what the difference was? The old guy believed they were stupid and lazy. And he created a world where he had to manage all those people and then his officers had to manage them and they wouldn't budge. They wouldn't lift a finger until somebody told them what to do. In fact, they knew that if they did, they'd get yelled at. And then this new guy comes in and he says, okay, guys, here's the deal. There are no more followers on this boat. The old, the old uh, uh, Navy uh, method and the old business method is leader follower. It's really manager follower. I'm going to manage you. I'm going to tell you what to do and you're just going to do that. That's what you've been taught throughout the Navy and throughout business. We're changing that. Going forward, it's now going to be leader, leader. 
you will lead, I will lead you in my area of expertise, and by gosh, you will lead me in your area of expertise. And if you won't want to lead me in what you're good at, I'll get somebody else. He created, he went from a, a world where they assumed the lowest common denominator. What's the stupidest and laziest thing somebody can do here? How do we make sure they don't do that? And he went to the opposite. What's the highest common denominator? What's the smartest and most motivated thing somebody could do here? And how do we create a world where they have that opportunity and everybody is expected to raise their game? So instead of the smart and motivated ones dropping their game, the, the ones that are acting stupid and lazy raise their game. And, and he's the best proof case I have on that in terms of short-term data. It's not the people. As my, my good friend who runs a self-managed company in Mexico City with 2,000 people in it says, Matt says, it's not about bad apples. It's about bad barrels and bad belief systems. We create a bad, we have a bad belief system. So we create a bad barrel and we drag everybody to the bottom. Right, right. This is amazing. I think I can keep talking to you forever. So <laughs> this is a... Well, you, know why, you know why this is amazing, Naren? It's because this is intuitive. This is, this is you know, one guy actually mentioned this to me after a talk uh, a few months ago. He walked up and he said, you know why I'm so enraptured with what you're talking about? He says, because it simply makes sense as human beings. This, right. this is human. Everybody, and I, and I talk about that in my TED talk. Uh, what's the one thing, the one thing that makes us uh, different than animals is we ask questions. We're creative. We, we're self-aware. We're creative. We ask questions. There's the five, five or six major questions. Who, what, when, where, how, and why? What's the one of those that makes us the most human? The one that an, an animal will never ask. It might the ask. Why. Yeah, it's why. Yeah. What is the one question you've not been, been allowed to ask at work for 175 years? Yeah. About it's right. Above any other, it's why. When you ask why, you're considered an outcast. When in fact, when you're asking why, you're simply being human. So we teach dentists this practice. We teach dentists to teach their people, number one, you can and you are required to make decisions. And number two, you have to ask, you have to ask why at least three times with, before you make any decision and you have to get other people involved in it. And you all have to ask why. We're going to turn it exactly on its heads. Not only is it not uh, uh, forbidden to ask why, it is required that you ask it a minimum of three times. Because the first why, when you ask a question, why should we buy a copier, it's usually an easy answer because it's broken. And then you ask, well, why is it broken? Well, because we don't have a maintenance program. Well, why don't we have a maintenance program? Well, because we just don't. All right. So... Let's not just buy a copier. Let's get a maintenance program because that'll prevent us buying the next copier. Asking why multiple times is the best thing that we can get anybody to do. I, I crave it when someone asks me any question, when they challenge me in any way. It's like I, if, if I'm in the room, I will physically tend to give them a hug because I want to encourage that so much. It's so against our, our, our grain. And, and having worked with dentists so long, it's not the way that they were taught to do business. Now, there's this detachment that says, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to know a lot more than you do, and we need to keep that separation. And no, you need to become transparent and vulnerable and approachable. And I have people at least once a week who are part of my company saying, hey, Chuck, why are we doing this? Why should, let's do something else. Or they just make the statement, Chuck, I really think we need to do something else. And here's four other people who agree with me. 
And I just look at them and say, great, that makes sense. Why don't you go do that? Right. I totally agree. And I think, um, uh, unfortunately, our education system wants you to get an A, right? Like 95 or whatever. So uh -huh. they take yeah. us out of this idea of the why, because you're not supposed to question, you're supposed to follow. And then the medical school, you know, that reinforces it. This is the way it is. Medicine is not something, you know, you're supposed to play around yeah, with. W.L. Gore talks about, uh, Gore-Tex, the guy who, who founded the company that makes Gore-Tex, they have 10,000 people, $3 billion company. And they have, walked, they have worked without managers with this same concept that I'm talking about for almost 65 years now. And he says that uh, he, there's no such thing as a mistake. He wants people to learn how to actually do these things. Uh, we call them seminars. That we encourage people to do this because if they don't learn, they're continuing to be codependent on me as an individual. And that's never going to create leadership. So uh, I have to figure out how to help people and encourage people to make mistakes and simply call them seminars and learn from them. And, and so we're all better the next time. Right. I totally agree. Yeah, this is an amazing conversation. I want to continue this. Um, before we go, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Well, they can, they can get a hold of me. at I have my own website at chuckblakeman.com or they can, they can go straight to the gotsummit.com. G-O-T-T, -T, it stands for Get Off the Treadmill, summit.com. We run a, a quarterly, once, once every quarter, we do a summit for uh, dentists only. That's the only people allowed to come to these things. Dentists and some of their leadership staff can come to these summits. And uh, we do those every quarter, and they can find out about the Got Summits uh, com or the Got Summits on GotSummit.com. Our next one is, uh, is, no is November 30th through December 2nd in Dallas. And they can go into the GotSummit.com and, and find that there. Or they can just connect with Krista Valentine or me at, at uh, uh, ChuckBlakeman.com. Perfect. Um, and um, so it's quarterly. Is it in different cities every quarter? Yeah, we tend to do it in different cities. The next one will probably be in Denver. That's where I live. We did one in Boston. Uh, uh, we'll probably go back there as well. So we tend to go around in different time zones, but it doesn't seem to matter. I would say most of the people coming to this one are not from Dallas. They're from all over the U.S. We, go to, places, we go to places where we think people would like to be that time of year. And right. November in Dallas is going to be a nice time of year to be. Perfect. And uh, how many people are typically in, in, a, con in, a, in, a, meeting, in a group like this? We, we keep them very small on purpose because I, uh, we really want to create a, an environment where people can ask questions and get personalized help and, and walk away with things rather than knowledge, with things they've actually already begun to, 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 to do that are transformative. So we don't want any more than 15 or 20 practices in, in the room. And frankly, I like them when it's around 10. Right That's now, awesome. we're a little over that, but uh, we cap them. And if we cap them, then we just put people in the next one. Right. Perfect. I really loved talking to you today, and I would love to have you back one of these days. Thank oh, you very much. Doing it. Yeah, let, let's do it again. Thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to this conversation with Chuck, who is the founder of GodSummit.com and uh, several other businesses. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you.